Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. We're going to continue on with our study of Isaiah as we've been doing this quarter, and I equate it to skipping a rock across a lake, because that's what it feels like, is we're touching down and not staying in any one place very long. Um, But this will at least give us exposure to the book um, as we cover cover it, and then toward the end of the quarter, we'll look back from the New Testament on usage of Isaiah and be able to have an idea of the context from Isaiah. I have handouts that are out still, if anyone doesn't have one for this section. There's more over here, I think, than over there. But if, if you need one, let me know, and I can try to get one over to you. And then also I have some highlighters here, if anybody needs any highlighters. I'll go ahead and uh, open us in prayer here. Our Holy Father, we're so grateful, God, to be your children as those who are in Christ, who have um, been baptized into remission of sins, put off the old self, put on the new person that's in Christ that walks um, toward your way and um, in your path. Ask that you'll bless our study tonight. Bless those who are unable to be with us, who are recovering from illnesses. Um, We're mindful of Gene and Tony Mathias up north. And uh, also James uh, Weaver sent me a note and said that he and Harrison are out sick tonight. So uh, we pray that they'll recover soon. And uh, any others who who are unwell at this time, we ask that you'll give them strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, we're going to look at our briefly at our roadmap of Isaiah here. And as you can see, we've made our way across this top section, which is kind of the, the first part of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39. We talked about how there happens to be the same number of chapters as books in the Old Testament. And there's also 27 chapters in the second part of Isaiah. Uh, similar to the New Testament, that deal with the return from exile, the Babylonian exile. And so tonight, there's this section, uh, I have it titled, Against Judah's, it's a warning against Judah's alliance with Egypt. And if you remember back before the section on the judgments of the nations, we talked about a similar uh, allegiance or Um, alliance that was attempted to be formed with King Ahaz and Assyria. And so this directs their attention to another alliance that they uh, apparently attempt to form with Egypt. And so that's kind of part of the historical backdrop. Uh, Next week, I'll be out actually. And so Gary Bond, 
has been kind enough to come in and he'll teach the section on uh, it's really on Hezekiah and this section from 36 to 39 and Hezekiah's response to the Assyrians when they come to the doorstep of Jerusalem. And it notes in, in that chapter, the Assyrian king says, you know, you've attempted to call on Egypt and send emissaries for help, but they're not giving you help. And I'm going to, you know, your God is not helping you either. He's threatening and taunting uh, King Hezekiah. And so he, he's going to invade. And so that's, that's part of the backdrop here is apparently uh, they did call, tr- attempt to call on Egypt for aid during this time when Assyria was invading. And um, there's another point I was going to make. Let's see. That's okay. Another uh, way I kind of characterize this section is there's, it's the woes section because it seems like every chapter has a woe pronounced on a different group of people. I think there were six of them that I counted. So it has these uh, woes that lead up to restoration and the idea, the image that's given of the restoration of Judah and what that's going to be like under the Messianic age. And so chapters 28 through 31 kind of deal with these woes and they look forward to a righteous king and his kingdom uh, along the way in chapters 32, 33, and then this image, this kind of ideal, idyllic picture of the messianic kingdom in chapter 35. Hopefully we'll get there tonight. And this idea of given, is given of a highway of holiness, a highway being built to Zion. And so let's look at chapter... And, uh, let me, one, one other thought, I think I remembered it, <laughs> is that what we'll deal with here is a people who are aware of God and they even know the practices of following God, but they're resistant against his word and against his will. They've refused to follow that. And they've, they've covered their eyes and closed their ears to the word of God. And so that's the, the people that Isaiah is dealing with. And I know that's nothing like the United States, so it really doesn't apply to us. <laughs> My sarcasm there. Um, and so keep helping us to remember uh, that we stand for truth and we stand for the way of righteousness and of God, uh, even in a nation that has turned uh, their back on God, has gone to their own way, um, will be a helpful, uh, helpful principles to remember tonight as we study. So let's read chapter 28. Verses one through three. Woe to the proud, woe to the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, and to the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is the head of the fertile valley of those who are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has a strong and mighty agent, as a storm of hail, a tempest of destruction, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He has cast it down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim is trodden underfoot. And so Ephraim, do you know what that, who that's referring to? The northern kingdom, someone said. So generally Isaiah is written to who? To Judah. But this section here appears to be to the northern kingdom, Ephraim being a prominent tribe of the northern kingdom. So that kind of helps us give at least a 
one side of a date range on this, at least this prophecy, uh, would have been before they fell to Assyria. Um, does anyone remember when that happened? Date people? It was in 721, 722 BC. And so this likely was written before that, at least this section. Um, and then as we get later on, like I mentioned, Hezekiah was faced with Assyria in Jerusalem in around 700 or 701, and that's when he called on Egypt. And so, yeah, it's interesting with Isaiah, it's kind of these oracles and prophecies are kind of put here, but there isn't a, a reasoning of why they're ordered the way they are. We're just given the word of the Lord as, as Isaiah was given it. And so the, the, crowd, the proud crown of Ephraim is addressed here. And it said that they'll be trampled underfoot through an agent, through Assyria. Now in verse 7, it says, uh, In these also reel with wine and stagger from strong drink. Another translation I, said, I read said, And they also. And so there seems to kind of be a redirection of, of this woe over to Judah, to Judah's leaders, who are apparently scoffers. We'll see in verse 14. And so let's read verse 9 through 11. To whom would he teach knowledge, and to whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk, and those just taken from the breast? For he says, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. Indeed, he will speak to his people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. So this is an odd passage. <laughs> and what several commentators suggested about this, which uh, seems to fit, you know, verse 14 reads, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, who rule the people who are in Jerusalem. So it, it would seem to be that they're scoffers who are scoffing at Isaiah. They're taunting him. And they're saying, uh, who are you to teach us? as if we're babies, we've just been waned from milk and trying to give us our spiritual ABCs, if you will, order on order, line on line. Um, someone else mentioned that this phrase, order on order, line on line, in Hebrew is kind of a like a baby chant, almost like babble, babbling babies. And so that that's kind of like they're mocking Isaiah. So of course I had to go look that up. And it's sav litsav. Savlatsav, Kavlakov, Kavlakov. And so that's what order on order, line on line is in Hebrew. And so uh, in verse 11, Isaiah kind of turns this around on them in irony almost and says, Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. And he's talking here about who? Um, sorry, uh, there would be a foreign nation that would come and speak to them in a language they don't understand. It would, it would be through Assyria, at least initially in this context. Um, so he's saying, and we'll see that a little bit later too, that he's, God is going to use the people of Assyria and they're, he's going to speak to them in a language they don't understand. Um, it's interesting, Paul actually quotes this verse through stammering lips and a foreign tongue in 1 Corinthians 14. And uh, 
says that the miraculous ability to speak in tongues would be a sign for unbelievers, and he quotes this verse. That's kind of, that's interesting. Um, but here, here in Isaiah, it, it refers to the, the agent that God would use to come in and to, to judge them. Let's read verse 14 through 18. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we've made a pact. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by, for we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the secret place. Your covenant with death will be canceled. Your pact with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you will become its trampled place. And so apparently, as I mentioned, these leaders of Judah were scoffing at the word of the Lord from Isaiah. And they had made a covenant with uh, idolatrous people and their non-living gods that leads to death. And that's how they were acting. Their covenant was not with the true God that would be a firm foundation. It was with death. So they, they, they believed that this judgment wouldn't happen when this overflowing scourge came through. It won't harm us. We can't be destroyed. And we'll read about the next couple chapters about Egypt and this uh, faith that they put in Egypt. So Isaiah says in, in verse 16 and 17, you probably recognize that, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. This is quoted in a handful of places in the New Testament. Um, Paul quotes it twice and in Romans, in chapter 9, 33, in chapter 10, verse 11. And he quotes it again in Ephesians. And then Peter quotes it in 1 Peter 2. And they all refer to Christ, Christ being this cornerstone, this tried stone that he was tempted in all points and yet without sin. Um, and so it's interesting the, the vagueness that Isaiah gives here about laying in, in Zion a stone um, you know, it would be their uh, God that they needed to trust in Zion in this instance, and yet it really looks forward to uh, the sure foundation of Christ, the foundation that we have in Christ. Any comment on that? I'm going to jump to the next chapter. Let's reach verses 1 through 3 of 29. So the woes are redirected toward Ariel. Woe, O Ariel, Ariel, the city where David once camped. Add year to year, observe your feasts on schedule. I will bring distress to Ariel, and she will be a city of lamenting and mourning, and she will be like an Ariel to me. I will camp against you, encircling you, and I will set siege works against you, and I will raise up battle towers against you. Ariel uh, means, apparently, Lion of Judah, and is referred to here, the city where David camped would be Jerusalem. And this really begins to describe in this section the siege that Assyria would bring upon the land of Judah. 
Um, Gary will discuss this more next week. Um, but they make their way through and destroy, I can't remember the number, but I think it's over 40 cities in Judah before they finally get to Jerusalem. And it says, you will be to me an aerial. Apparently aerial also means it's the altar hearth where things are sacrificed, where fire burns. And so the idea here could be that God's saying, um, my judgment to you is going to be like a fire here, and uh, you're going to be like that altar hearth that's tried by fire and judged when the city and your, uh, your nation is besieged. Let's read verses 12, uh, 9 through 12. Be delayed and wait. Blind yourselves and be blind. They become drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. The entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which when they give it to the one who is literate, saying, please read this, he says, I, can't, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to one who is illiterate, saying, please read this. And he will say, I cannot read. This idea is, like I mentioned earlier, it's to a people who uh, refuse to obey the word of God. They're um, not blind or, or drunk because of, this is referring to their knowledge and their, their heart condition toward God. But they're not blind because of... Um, lack of knowledge, but because of lack of response, lack of um, understanding, the difference between the knowledge of something and the understanding and, and how it will affect their hearts and, and allow them to live for God. It reminds me back in chapter 7 when, excuse me, 6, when Isaiah is first commissioned and he's told to go to the people um, He's, you know, it says, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. And so that's uh, chapter 6, verse 10. So the people, although they had the resources, they had the word of the Lord there and access to it, they refused to obey it. And it says, he's, the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. Paul will also quote this in Romans 11 uh, and apply it to the naturally born Jews of his day that refused to obey Christ and the good news. Let's go on and read verse 13 through 16. Then the Lord said, because this people, so the same idea is continuing on here, uh, because the pe this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelous, marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be conceived. Let me keep going. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and, those, and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us or who knows us? 
You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to its maker, he did not make me, or what is formed to him who formed it, he has no understanding. So again, in this uh, poetic language, Isaiah continues on talking about their condition, their heart condition, that they honor me with their lip service, but their hearts are far from me. Once again, you probably recognize that passage. (laughs) There's a sequence of New Testament quotations actually used here. Uh, Matthew 15, 8, that's quoted, and then Mark chapter 7. Um, And then in verse 14, the wisdom of their wise men will perish. Uh, Paul quotes that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's talking about um, the wisdom of the world and how the gospel is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. And then the potter and the clay reference, too, is also mentioned in Romans chapter 9 uh, when Paul's um, arguing there. So he's saying we need to see ourselves as clay in the hands of God um, rather than questioning the maker. What are you doing that to me for? We need to yield to God, yield to his way, and let God train us according to his paths. Any thoughts here at this point? Any thoughts on people's minds about that this may bring to to mind for yourself? All right, let's move on to chapter 30. Chapter 30, let's read verses, and as... As I mentioned, chapter 30 and 31 get into this idea of this allegiance with Egypt that Judah would attempt to make and how they're, by not putting the trust in God, um, they, they won't stand. Egypt wouldn't be their protector uh, against Assyria, who was the tool in God's hand. So chapter 30, verse 1 and 2, Woe to the rebellious children! declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an allegiance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So as I mentioned, the, the premise at this time is that Assyria uh, is threatening and Judah is faced with a decision to make. Are they going to trust in God or look to their neighbors for, for assistance? Uh, verse 6 mentioned about, uh, mentions a caravan that's going from Judah to Egypt carrying riches on the backs of animals to a people that can't profit them, um, trying to buy help from a people that they that can't help them. Let's read verses 9 and 10. Chapter 30, verse 9 and 10. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not see prophecy, 
to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Does anyone else have any different word beside uh, pleasant words in verse 10? Smooth words. Yeah, speak to us smooth words. Um, so you see here that the people, they don't want to hear the message that Isaiah is bringing to them of judgment because of their wickedness. And that's how it is when one's walking in their own path, walking in darkness, is um, the light hurts them. They refuse to, to have their deeds exposed, as, as John would say. So they're asking him, don't prophesy what God's telling, uh, telling you to prophesy. Prophesy to us what we want to hear, um, that we're doing great, that we're following God. Uh, and that would have been easier, easier for Isaiah to do, wouldn't it have been, to, to yield to them, to teach them what they wanted to hear. And they're telling him to fulfill your office by doing this. <laughs> this, this would be fulfilling your office. It reminds, uh, reminded me of Jeremiah later on uh, before Judah is overtaken by Babylon. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 8 and 9. Jeremiah 20, verse 8 and 9. The context here is that uh, Pesher, the priest, at that time is persecuting Jeremiah for preaching judgment upon Judah by Babylon. And so he had him beaten and put in stocks, and then later he's released. So Jeremiah cries out to God that he'd been become a laughingstock daily to this people. They're telling him to, st- to stop prophesying the word of God. And so in verse 8, For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in taunting and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him, nor speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm tired of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. So Jeremiah says, if the, the word of the Lord is like me, like a fire in my bones, it must come out, it must be taught. And that's how the, the truth of the Lord is, isn't it? Um, it should be the same with us with the gospel of Christ. Do we truly see it as the good news, as the truth that must go forth, It must be taught, no matter what the circumstance is? Remember what Peter said in Acts chapter 4, uh, after they had been freed from prison, and the council there uh, tells them not to go and preach any longer. And he says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you uh, rather than God, you make your own judgment, your own decision, for we cannot stop seeking, speaking about what we've seen and heard. So Peter knew that the gospel had to go forth. It had to be taught. It was like a fire in his bones. And so it'd be the same with Isaiah. Isaiah would not stop preaching the truth of God to his people. And so there was time for their hearts to turn by the fact that he was still preaching to them. There was time for them to, to return and come back. It kind of, a little bit of a tangent here, but it reminds me that man's own way, our own will, uh, aside from God, isn't going to lead us to truth. Actually, sat in a training, an ethics training this morning for work, and 
it caught my ear at the beginning of the training. The instructor said, we're all adults here, and we've been around a long time, so we know right from wrong. He kind of said that, and I thought, okay. And then about halfway through the training, that was an hour and a half long, there were two people arguing about what the right thing to do was in these scenarios. It had to do with, could a woman go into a man's bathroom? Was that appropriate? And help that. And they were arguing about this thing. And I thought, if, if we're relying on our own selves and our own wisdom and experience alone, then uh, that's not where truth is found. That's not where rightness uh, is found. It's from God's word. And so we have to stay close to God's word. We have to, to know it, to study it, and then to be, be willing to stand up for, for the truth, even despite those who, who would turn from it. And there's a lot of uh, smooth words or pleasant words that are taught today, isn't there, <laughs> from various people. And uh, illusions that are prophesied, and yet, yet God's word is not changing. Um, the, the truth of it will, will continue to, to come out as long as there are those who, t- who will teach it. Any comments or thoughts? I like verse 15 here, so I was going to spend a minute on chapter 30, verse 15. I realized I haven't gone forward to my next slide. Sorry about that. Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength but you were not willing. It was, I'm sure it was hard for Isaiah and for his people to sit by and watch their city being surrounded by Assyria and not to panic. And you'll, again, talk more about that next week in the next section. Um, and there's some things in our own lives that come up that cause us to panic, cause me to, to panic, um, and in, in our fear, in our lack of trust, we can make a wrong decision. We can choose the wrong thing, make a mistake. Um, maybe we can't see the way out or the road out from the situation we're facing. We don't know how God is going get to get us out of this pickle. And yet, I will hold on to the one who does see the way out. That's to God. And so in repentance and rest, you will be saved. Repentance here is mentioned. And that's a mind-altering experience, isn't it? Um, I'm going to quit thinking about how I think about things, how I see things. I'm going to see them how God would. I w- I'm going to yield my will to the ways of God's will. And so I, want, I may want to run, to panic, or to hide, and yet trust in his ways. And quietness is mentioned here. In quietness and trust is your strength. A lot of times when we're facing things that are causing us angst and um, causing us trouble, people don't necessarily want to be quiet about it, right? They want to kind of pour it out to whoever will listen. And anyone on the internet who happens to to kind of be there to see it. And yet, uh, in quietness and trust is your strength. So putting our, our focus and our trust in God and trusting in him is what Isaiah encourages here. So I thought that was a neat verse for our lives too. Um, 
I referenced Acts 17, although it may not feel like it at times for people in, in uh, difficult situations that you go through. He is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and exist, Paul would say. And so God is there with us, um, and we should, we should trust in him. This remaining section in, in 30 is about the judgment that God will bring through Assyria. Um, I'm going to jump on to chapter 31. This continues on with a similar, um, similar idea in 31. I'll read verse 1 here. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, trust in chariots because there are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they, not, they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Let's read verse 4 and 5 of chapter 31. For thus says the Lord to me, as the lion or the young lion growls over his prey, against which a band of shepherds is called out, and he will not be terrified at their voice, nor disturbed at their noise, so will the Lord of hosts come down to wage war on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like flying birds, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect it, excuse me, he will protect and deliver it and will pass over and rescue it. So there's some interesting pictures here given this illustration of a lion. Um, I think the idea being, you know, you think you can scare off a lion with a couple of shepherds and a rod, but um, that's not going to happen. And neither will you be able to hire Egypt to scare me off from what I'm doing through Assyria, what Assyria is going to bring to you. So God, in, in a sense, has, has uh, brought this lion against them. Yet he says, yet he says in, in verse 5, he will protect them. Um, and he will deliver Jerusalem. And so he's referencing here what we'll talk about next week. I keep saying that. I'm trying not to spoil it. Um, but verse 8 says, And Assyria will fall by a sword, not of man, and a sword not of man will devour him, so he will not escape the sword, and his young men will become forced laborers. And so God is going to protect um, Mount Zion, the literal Zion, Jerusalem, from Assyria when he comes against them because of the repentance of their leader. Let's look at chapter 32. Any comments? I should pause. Any thoughts or comments that are coming up at this point? I know some of this material is pretty difficult. I found it difficult as I studied it. If you have any questions on difficult verses or just thoughts that come to mind as we're going through, uh, I welcome them. They did have another plan. <laughs> right. Yes, they were trusting in horses and in their chariots and not, not in the true and living God.
Let's read 32, 1 through 4. So this immediately seems to jump to a forward look at a righteous king. And yes, in a way, Hezekiah showed righteousness. But I think this is even forward, further forward looking to the Messiah and through his kingdom in this passage. Verse 1, Behold, a king will reign righteously, and princes will rule justly. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in a parched land. Then the eyes of those who see um, will not be blinded, and the ears of those who hear will listen, and the mind of the hasty will discern the truth, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak clearly. And so the, a contrast is really given to the current state of the people, to a people who would hear, who would see the truth. And it would uh, happen through this, this king that would reign righteously, that would rule justly. Streams of water in a dry country is mentioned that we're going to talk a little bit more about in chapter 35. That's another image that's given um, the streams of water. And so this uh, would, would be a messianic passage, forward-looking passage, uh, a reminder to the readers and to us that the covenant God had made with David uh, in Second Samuel 7, that one would sit on his throne and reign righteously, uh, that that would continue on. That promise wouldn't be broken that God made. Let's read verses 7 and 8. As for a rogue, his weapons are evil. He devises wicked schemes to destroy the afflicted with slander, even though the needy one speaks what is right. But the noble man devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. I liked verse 8. I think it may just be the NASB, but just the way it read is almost like a proverb. Um, so in verse 7, the, the wicked man, and then verse 8, but the noble man devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. And that is a, a standalone verse that can really um, be something we can, we can apply in our own lives. Let's look at chapter 33 briefly. We're going to continue on and cover this, this last bit of section. So chapter 33 as a whole, just from a big picture, the message is that Assyria, this powerful ruling kingdom, will be defeated. And that although Judah is alarmed, as it's described in this chapter, um, God will be their confidence and can be their confidence. So 33 verse 1 says, Woe to you, O destroyer, while you are not destroyed. And he who is treacherous, while others did not deal treacherously with him, as soon as you finish destroying, you will be destroyed. As soon as you cease to deal treacherously, others will deal treacherously with you. And so this judgment here seems to be on the one who's destroying, that is Assyria. And as we know from history, uh, 
another kingdom would come and overtake them, uh, Babylon would be that kingdom that would come and uh, rise to power and take the land and the area and the people that Assyria had taken. And this sequence um, of these these man-made kingdoms uh, conquering the, these areas would continue on uh, as depicted by the uh, image in Daniel chapter 2. If you remember the metal man image that Daniel had the vision of and how these four nations that represented the four parts of the image uh, during the time of that, that fourth kingdom, a rock not made with hands would come and strike the image. And not just the fourth kingdom, but the entire image would be destroyed. So God, uh, God through the messianic kingdom, through Christ, would come and, and destroy the reign that these earthly kingdoms would have over his people. He's not going to let that happen again. Uh, his kingdom, not that that's spiritual in nature, is not going to be oppressed. Is not going to be, uh, you know, bound by these king, kingdoms as it had been uh, during these days. So I think that's that's some of uh, the idea with the fact that um, the destroyer will be destroyed. Chapters 34 and 35. So 34 is a judgment against Edom, the nation of Edom. And it actually reads very similar to some of the judgment passages we had last week. I don't know why it's kind of a standalone here compared to um, not, not being with the other nations, but they're called out individually here and described a judgment upon Edom. Um, and it's done again in very highly figurative poetic language. Um, 34 verse 4 says, And all the host of heaven will wear away. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their host will also wither away. Um, and yet, in verse 5, For my sword will be satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom. Um, I believe it's the book of Obadiah that is also against Edom. Um, and so that's, that's the nature of, of chapter 34. Um, but it's, again, uses the language that we've run into already. Uh, that's that's uh, apocalyptic language. Let's look at 35, chapter 35, with our last couple minutes, because this is a really beautiful passage. 35, verse 1 through 5. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. I should mention, so this is seems to be pointing to an idyllic age, a future age, uh, the messianic age. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our Lord. Encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. Paul actually quotes that, or not Paul, excuse me, the Hebrew writer quotes that um, 
that part there. Um, I guess that's our bell. Um, the last part of the chapter talks about a highway, and we'll talk more about that, this highway of holiness that's going to be built. And um, in chapter 40, it's quoted in the New Testament as being John the Baptist that's going to help do this. And so we can know it's not a figurative highway. It's, it's not a literal highway. It's a, uh, the way that's being cleared to Zion and to Christ um, through, through his ministry in the New Testament. So that's the highway description. Thank you for your attention and uh, participation. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.